0: on how you buy. Hello to everybody who's really locking into the gig economy. It's beautiful, anonymous. One hour, one phone call, no names, no holds barred.
1: I'd rather go one-on-one. I think it'll be more fun and I'll get to know you and you'll get to know
0: Hi, everybody! It's Chris Gethard. I'm I'm just so happy to welcome you to another episode of Beautiful Anonymous. Each week, I'm, I get so excited because I, I know what these I know what this week's call is. And I'm so excited to tell you guys about it. I feel very very lucky to have this gig and to be at the helm of this community. Thank you for being a part of it. Thank you for uh, putting up with all my jujitsu talk last week. And I wanted to let you guys know real quick: I have not been out on the road. Uh, pretty much since the very, very beginning of 2019. I go a little crazy when I don't get to come out and do shows and hang out with you guys and meet you guys. We got a bunch of live shows and a bunch of them are beautiful anonymous tapings, right? September 14th, London. We are returning to the London Podcasting Festival. Jared and I will be there. Um, It's going to be a real quick trip for me. I'm hoping all you guys come out, say hello. Then we're going all over the country, man, all over the States, Buffalo doing stand up. We got Another Beautiful Anonymous Live taping in Detroit. Beautiful Anonymous Live in Woodstock. We got stand-up in Buffalo and Woodstock and Detroit and Brooklyn and Asbury Park and Philly and Baltimore and Richmond. We might have a few more dates. Might have another uh, Beautiful Anonymous Live in Toronto. Might be doing some stand-up in Chicago. Who knows? Go to chrisgeth.com for all those dates. And I'm filming this tour. I've been doing comedy now for half my life. I've been stumbling into these weird art projects for half my life. No other performer I know has such personal conversations and it's it's really meaningful to me. We're bringing a camera crew out to try to document it. So come on out. Say hi. Have some laughs. Talk on camera. Let's connect. Parlay. It'll be cool. This week's episode, like I said, really excited to tell you about this one. This caller comes from a community that many of us view as marginalized, as fetishized, and maybe contained to a very, very specific section of the world. This caller... Is Native American? This caller uh, participates in her tribal politics or her tribal experience. But you think maybe of Native Americans as living only in the Southwest of america if if you're if you're like me and maybe uh, aren't such a deep thinker. this caller grew up with a more worldly experience than I know, and that I bet a lot of us do, all different countries, all over the world, multiple continents. So this caller has perspectives from every angle. And I found it really fascinating. I think you will, too. Enjoy the call.
1: Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello? Hello? Hi. Oh, this is happening.
0: It is. It's all going down. Everything's going down. Buckle up. How are you? Um, I'll be honest, I'm a little depressed, but I'm handling it well and I'm here at work and I bet Jared and Harry never would have even guessed I was depressed. That's how good I am at handling being depressed now. It really becomes an art form, doesn't it? It does. I'm surfing that wave and I've had a lot of practice and I'm happy to tell you that I can just get through the day and go to work and get stuff done in the face of it now. Pretty proud of that.
1: Something definitely to be proud of to um. Was it just something that was triggered by something, or you just woke up feeling like, eh, I'm, I'm, I'm off today?
0: I just had a couple days where I can't shake it, and uh, one of was it Harry or Jared that just typed? I knew Harry just typed, apparently Harry did sense that I was depressed. I'm not, getting, I underestimated Harry's powers of, <laughs> of uh, deduction. There, yeah, no, it's just you know sometimes I wake up and it is just what it is. That's okay. How are you?
1: Yeah, I'm um, I'm not depressed today, but that is uh, a rarity. So I'm <laughs> counting my blessings on that one.
0: Happy, um, happy to hear that you're breaking really, the rhythm on that one. That's good.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I feel you though. I um, was recently diagnosed with um, complex PTSD and severe depressive disorder. And so they put me on some Zoloft real quick. So um, that's been, that's actually been working pretty well. Oh, good. Except it was one of those things that may or may not work. Yes. Or it may bring out your possible uh, manic, <laughs> like, manic, like, what did they say? Something like, uh, I could be bipolar. And if I, if I was, this might pull it out. to so stop if you start having manic yeah. highs or lows. I'm like, oh. Mm, great. Wonderful. <laughs> Great.
0: I'm glad it's working. I'm glad it didn't do that.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm sorry to hear about how you're feeling today. I know. It, it happens. Especially now you have to talk talk to people.
0: Oh, that's the thing that, that's the thing I love the most. It is the thing I like. well, What a weird thing to have your job be. Talk to people on the phone. That's a nice thing. What a nice <laughs> life. Good gig.
1: Were you always good at talking on the phone? Or this just sort of was a, you developed this. Naturally.
0: Oh, no. I mean, you ask anybody who's ever met me in real life, and I'm actually a terrible conversationalist. I would say shockingly bad conversationalist with people I know, with people I don't <laughs> know. Any People come people, people come out to these beautiful anonymous live shows, and I'll sit in a room in front of 400 people, and I'll have a pretty lovely conversation on the phone. I'll involve the crowd. I'm like a maestro handling a symphony. And then they come up to me after the show, and they're like, hey, good job up there, man. And I'm like, uh, uh, uh Uh, yeah, thanks. And they just are so turned off and they have, they assume that it's them and it's not, it's me. But for some reason, are you you
1: getting some kind of physical indication (laughs) that they're turned off? What do you mean?
0: Body language, the, uh, sadness and shock in their eyes, um, (laughs) the, 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 stu- the stunning realization that it's not going well and because they assume that I'm someone who is good at conversations that it has to be their fault, it's, uh, it's the whole thing. It's fine. Who cares? Who cares? It's fine. <laughs>
1: Hello? I definitely couldn't do what you do. I've had some minor versions. I've, I've toured with a couple of bands who like to stay afterwards and greet all the fans. And I, by proxy, just sort of get a bit of that, a taste of what that's like. And I'm not socially equipped for it. So at some point, I'm like, I I can't, I can't play nice right now. I can't, I I don't know how to do this. I feel strange. And then, of course, like you said, they start to feel like they've done something wrong. And I'm like Mm -hmm. the beginning of the line. And so by the time they get to the people they actually want to see, I feel like they're deflated.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, they're th- they're thrown off their rhythm and full of a, of a panic and an uncertainty. It's okay. This is how people bounce off each other in 2019. That's okay. These things happen. None of us are good at talking anymore, but we're all great at texting. We're all great at tweeting, but we can't talk to each other. We can't just have a conversation, but we can look at a little box. We can do that. Anyway, and here I am, slamming myself, technology. Like I, there, there was I'll go for it.
1: While after your main forum. <laughs> yeah,
0: whereas I'm more addicted to my phone than anyone. Really? Eh, no, not not more than anyone. I'm sure there's other people out there, but I don't love the amount of time I spend on the screen. Although I do spend a lot of time reading magazine articles on my phone, and that's not a bad use of screen time.
1: Hey. No, if you're reading articles or stories or, mo- or books, you're good. Do you find that um, now that your little baby is around, it's kind of lessened some of your time on the screen, or is it kind of more of like a, I need this? I need this mental break.
0: Um, no, it's not a mental break. It's there's two things that I think. Like I, I'm spending less time doing the frivolous stuff. There are like baby specific apps that fill some of that time, like things to track feedings and stuff like that. And then also, like if I'm up at four in the morning with him. And he's kind of going in and out of sleep while I'm trying to feed him, and I can't, um, we can't kind of predict. Like I can't go back to sleep because I'm gonna need to feed him at some point. Then I will sit and play on my phone because this kid's he's just sleeping on his Snuggle Me pillow, and uh, I'm just waiting for him to <laughs> want to eat. So sometimes the middle of the night, the phone will get me through because you can't really watch TV next yeah. to sleeping baby. hoots. what's up with you? What's up with me?
1: Um, I feel like I'm a bit all over the place. I was not expecting to come through. I just got back from. Um, this is not It's not going to matter, I guess. But um, I just got back from Oklahoma, and I'm originally sort of from there. I'm Native American, and my my tribal affiliation is mostly out of Oklahoma. And there was a big Indian, Indian Gaming Association trade show there. It was huge. It's what it's. Biggest in the States now, and which means it's the biggest in the world, I guess, because it's Native American, specific to the States. Um, but it's such an interesting um, feeling for me. Um, I, so, my parents are missionaries. I grew up overseas, I was born and raised, and I didn't move to the States until I was 18. And so, I have this really funny kind of feeling around identity and home and where I fit in and all of it. It's funny now because I'm, I'm in my thirties. So you'd think I'd be out of this phase, but it just never seems to, <laughs> it never seems to quite wrap itself up. And and then I get exposure to these types of events. And I, and I, it's a funny thing because I feel extremely welcomed. It's just almost a somewhat a sense of coming home because you're in a, sea of red instead of a sea of white all the time and it's like, oh, like these people these people look like me and they laugh like me, they're mischievous like me. Like it's this is definitely like a cultural thing that I just naturally have. And then feeling like for a few days of like, oh, I belong and maybe I should be a part of this more often and then I leave it and I'm confused again about who I am because I <laughs> I've I've just moved so many times in my life, and I've all of my family is spread out all over the world, and I'm in a long distance relationship with someone from Ireland, and I go to Ireland a few times a year, and so I'm just—I feel like I'm just everywhere mentally, if that makes sense. So that's what I'm thinking about currently.
0: I gotta say. As an answer to the question, what's up with you, you really nailed it. That's, there's a lot. That's a lot of what's up with you. It's a lot. Wow. It's a very interesting life. Well, it's funny
1: too, because it's not, oh, thanks. Yeah, I would not, that's not what I would have thought a few months ago. I would have been like, what's up with me? Uh, the Zolos really helping, apparently. <laughs>
0: <So>. <laughs> I'm glad to hear, glad to hear. Zolov's allowing you to explore some things. That's good.
1: Yeah, it's not all just one note darkness <laughs> and sorrow. So that's nice. I have
0: a bunch. Yeah, I have a bunch of questions about a lot of the stuff you just brought up. If you're okay talking about all that stuff,
1: I'm an open book. Anything you want to ask?
0: All right, because you. Uh, I mean, you brought up so much. Are, are you comfortable saying what your tribal affiliation is?
1: Yeah. So my I'm card carrying, which means I literally have a card that gives my blood quantum. And um, there, every tribe is, there. there's a lot of actual uh, back and forth and some politics and um, combativeness around this. Some tribes, they care a lot about your blood quantum and others, you can be next to nothing. You could be one sixty-eighth, and you're we are fully welcomed in. And uh, my my tribe is Choctaw, um, but I'm also Comanche and Apache. And um, but I those I don't have any cards for. Uh, they're mostly on my father's side. My father's Dutch and Comanche, and my mom is is full native.
0: Wow. Wow. And is, does blood quantum, I'm I'm assuming based on what you said, that that's like an actual breakdown of the percentage of, of what your heritages are? Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah. And depending on your tribe, depending on your tribal affiliation, it also determines what kind of, um, I, I hate calling them benefits because that's really not exactly what they are. And I'm really terrible at break. I understand it in my mind, but when I try and Convey it to other people. I feel a great sense of responsibility about conveying it properly, and I, I, I'm, a, I'm concerned that I might misstep. So I apologize to any skins who are listening because I'm not—I'm I'm not trying to fuck this up.
0: <laughs> Wait, did you so, any uh, any but, any what's that any who, skins. skins?
1: Yeah, we so yeah, that's what we call each other at least in my tribal community. But, anyone who's red uh, Redskins. it's kind of a re- reclaiming
0: right but just so i'm clear i'm pretty well aware of current events that is not something i should be repeating i am i know that much
1: probably not <laughs> yeah
0: that's not for me or the it's washington not. sports teams to just say that we're allowed to say that's not that's not cool
1: right I mean, I hear it from time to time, but it's usually in the term of affection. And, and, and if you're in the, if you're friendly with some with a skin, they, they're they not going to care. Like we, that one thing about natives that are pretty cool is we're really feisty and we, we like to make, and this is, I think, why I get along with my Irish boyfriend so much is <laughs> like slagging people is like the best way of showing your love like <laughs> the meaner you are the more in you are
0: <laughs> oh yeah i do know i can speak for the irish that we like to give each other a hard time it is it is it is a true showing of affection it really is so
1: it is it, it took me like 2 years to be, stop be, being butt hurt all the time <laughs> because he was so mean to me <laughs> and and so was his family and I, and then i was like oh one day it just clicked Oh, okay they actually really love me, so I'm going to embrace
0: it. <laughs> so you said you said that you were raised overseas because your parents are missionaries. You said that your your father is half Dutch, half Native. Does it sounds to me like maybe you're, if I'm piecing it together, your your grandfather was a missionary who worked with the natives and then married someone who was Native, and that's kind of the the roots of of your experience.
1: Well, that sounds exotic, but no, not quite. My my parents are... Uh, so I guess I'm just breaking down my father's uh, whiteness. Like, that's, like, his portion that I know about. I think he's also Italian. So that, that probably sounded much more exotic than I intended. But no, my, par- my parents are from southeast Oklahoma, mm-hmm. and that is, like, the northernmost part of, like, southern culture. So it's very... Um, like, my grandma lives... In the sticks, like just absolute, like I think population (laughs) like fifty, and um, it's really beautiful in those mountains. But it also feels a little bit like deliverance, and it's like oh, so that's where my my parents are from. They are real true Oklahomans, and um, they have a pretty interesting. Story because at, they decided to become missionaries, they were preachers for a little while. while well, my dad was a preacher because well, the women don't preach. But um, the they decided to go overseas in their early 30s, and from from Southeast Oklahoma, they moved to Switzerland and went to uh, French school because they were prepping to go to Africa, to Francophone, and that's to Francophone in Cameroon. And so. They, they've they had an interesting set of choices that they've made that I, I'm, I, when I can put aside like my personal issues with some of the things that have happened as a result, I, I, I kind of stand in awe of their ability to uh, have made such a huge life change uh, and be brave enough to to go to Africa after living in essentially one place their entire lives.
0: Yeah, that's wild. That's a wild switch up. Yeah. Can I ask something? So yeah. tell me if I'm wrong here, because I want to get into it. I'm, I'm really, really fascinated. I have like a million questions. Here's one that I've never thought about. How would I phrase it? I feel like for many Americans, the view of Native Americans kind of falls into two broad categories I would say and tell me if I'm wrong here it seems like there's the marginalization of Native Americans and there's the fetishization of Native Americans there's like those right it's sort of like the modern Native Americans have been really put upon and maybe asked to live in areas that are not hospitable and to make do and then there's also the whole image of you know and and then there's like Hollywood kind of co-opting and making heroes of Native Americans by a culture that, I mean, let's be honest, perpetrated a a genocide, I think it's fair to say. What I've never thought about that you've experienced, what is the view of Native Americans when you get outside the borders of the United States? I've never never really considered that.
1: Yeah. um, It's an extension of that same noble, savage variation or like the fetishization that you're talking about. No, noble savage is like, I think the number one, it's funny. We like bounce between being completely invisible by people. And then suddenly like noble savage, you know, it's very, it's really odd, but overseas uh, that the variation of that is a lot more respectful and, um, backed by generally speaking, a lot of knowledge, surprisingly, especially in places like france, um they just know a lot about a lot of different now they they don't know because there's over five hundred tribes in the states there's no way you can know every one of them, but they do they'll know a lot about the five progressive tribes and they'll they'll have information and randomly will know something about Choctaws or something and, and you're just, it, it's very odd and then in Ireland um funny enough. There's a pretty long history between the Choctaw and the Irish. Well, I wouldn't say long history, but we have a history uh, between the Choctaws and the the Irish because during the famines, because my tribe yes. understood what it was like to be moved out and pushed away and have massive hardship and tragedy, uh, we, we donated money to the Irish to help. No, it wasn't very much, but it was a lot for then. I have and heard this story.
0: I will tell you, as an yeah. Irishman who has, has read up on my, and I say a lot, I will say too, can I just say, just to be clear, I know a lot of Irish people do not love when Irish Americans call themselves Irish. I have attained my Irish citizenship and I've been told that this allows me to refer to myself as an Irishman. I, and as someone who's really read up, I've always read about the Choctaw and how during the famine, money came in and uh, when a lot of the world was not helping.
1: Yeah. Cool. And it's funny, my my guy's from, from Dublin and we went to, um, there's a famine ship. I don't know if you've been there, but um, in Dublin by the convention center, there's this big old ship and you go in there and do, do tours. And it was very strange coming towards the end of the tour, there was this plaque about my tribe and talking, it, it basically a, a huge thank you for our contribution and um, it was really cool. And then down in Cork, there's a huge uh, monument to my people and it's really beautiful. And then it was funny that the prime minister came to Oklahoma, poor guy, but he <laughs> came to Oklahoma. It would be a huge cultural <laughs> shock. But he went down to Durant, Oklahoma, which is just, uh, it's an incredible thing happening in Durant, Durant's headquarters for, for the Choctaw nation of Oklahoma. And they have a massive casino there. And it's, I think it's like the third or fourth largest casino in the world now. And they're, they're going to start getting close to number one. They have so many progressive programs and options for people. And a lot, it's just a really unusual, um, community there for, uh, for people in general. But anyway, uh, because that's the headquarters, that's where the prime minister went. And I just thought that was a, an interesting, um, sort of, uh, my, my brain stopped stopped working there. But it was an interesting experience he must have had.
0: Now, when you're in Ireland and you see a, a monument to your people in Cork, do you turn around and you're like, yo, that's me. Hey, everybody. Like, that's, this is, I'm, I, hey.
1: <laughs> yes uh, I, I, funny enough I haven't actually seen that one yet I knew when it was being built I haven't made it down to Cork I'm
0: going to pause there because we're thinking about being you know, in the midst of travel with that question when you're traveling and you, you know what you sometimes need when you're traveling is different products and services to help you get through that trip or through your daily life if you're not traveling point being we've got ads for different products and services that was that was a real reach. I went a long way to get to that. Anyway, check out the ads. We'll be right back. Thanks to all our advertisers. Let's get back to the phone call. Now, when you're in Ireland and you see a, a monument to your people in Cork, do you turn around and you're like, yo, that's me. Hey, everybody. Like, that's, this is, I'm, I, hey. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
1: Uh, I, I, funny enough, I haven't actually seen that one yet. I knew when it was being built, I haven't made it down to Cork, been basically everywhere else, but you see all these little things here and there and and, and that definitely makes me proud. And it makes me weirdly enough, feel good about my relationship with my guy. It's like, oh, yeah. some I guess this is a sort of kismet, like w- this is a good combination. <laughs>
0: when you When you say feel good about it, I would have, that's another question I had dating someone from Ireland is there is there pressure within the Native American community to date within the community because you are a, a, from a marginalized group and and a group that that I think everybody is aware historically was you know wiped out in in tragic fashion is there is there pressure to kind of keep the bloodlines um within the community
1: I would say that that is is um completely based on the tribe. I wouldn't say that is true on mine. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think that at this point it's even really possible, but there is a lot of um, care around keeping language and um, cultural elements alive as much as possible. They have um, a, a really beautiful system that they have, created for themselves um a lot of so a lot of tribes um they get sort of a, a variation of a, a reparation per month so a lot of people especially uh, a lot of americans are like oh you're you're native american well, you must get money all the time like uh eh, not my, that's not how my tribe works some tribes do work that way where they'll get a certain amount like a stipend per month um and it's it's meant to build a quality of life, I guess, or be sort of like pacification money is how I think of it. But it, that's fine. That's another thing. But um, in my tribe, they take that money from, from cas- the casino that they've developed there and then any other money that would have gone to individuals. Instead, they basically have created a, an internally flowing system where... All that money gets pulled in, and then divvied out to the rest of the community. And they have a hierarchy system of where that money first goes to. So it's education, health. So they have really state-of-the-art facilities, state-of-the-art options for people. Like if I lived in Oklahoma, I would have full health coverage, full educational benefits. I would have. I-, I could. I could basically study through my PhD. That, next to no cost, any medical, anything, including mental health stuff would be covered by Talk Nation. And wow. they've really enriched the, the communities there as a result because they've played it really smartly. And it's, a, it's about investing in future and, and growing as a tribe and making a name for themselves in, in that way so that there's some, they're, they're a dependable place for people to go. That's, but that's not always
0: the case. So so gaming has truly helped. It's truly unlocked some some funds and some ability to build an infrastructure. That's beautiful to hear. It also sounds to me like so so at least in the case of of the Choctaw Nation the gaming money has allowed, you you are basically just it, it's in the overall political discourse of America right now there's this real uh push towards like is socialism the future of the Democratic Party, or is it this evil that's that needs to be wiped out? But it sounds like you, like the Choctaw people, have built a socialist state within within the borders of America that's running pretty successfully. Oh yeah, that's awesome.
1: Oh yeah, that's that, and yeah. I, and it works really well.
0: And as someone, as someone who is a card-carrying member, you mentioned you don't live in Oklahoma. Is this a situation, like I know, um, like if there's Canadians living in the States and you get sick, you can travel back to Canada for the health care. Would you be able to travel to Oklahoma and benefit from that as a card-carrying member?
1: Yes. Yeah. So I've always thought if I, uh, hopefully not, but if I ever have some kind of terminal disease, I'd go back to Oklahoma and try and figure out, get best. Healthcare possible, um, and honestly, I my, my brother still lives there, and he's hugely involved and active in in Native communities. He's an artist down there, and um, he's been trying to get me to move there for ages. And I really, I, there's a lot that I like about Oklahoma. I wouldn't want to live in southeast Oklahoma, and that's nothing, no slight against anyone down there. It's just not my cup of tea anymore. And, uh, but Oklahoma city is a pretty cool city. Tulsa is an all right city. Um, if you want a slower pace of life, it, it it's not, it's not a bad place to be in. I just got, I, I, I had a side note. If you are ever in Tulsa, go to Burn Co. Cause they have the best barbecue I think I've ever had in my life. And I. That's a high, that's high praise. I've had a lot of barbecues. All my family's kind of speckled around the South. It was really good. Burn Co. Anyway, very random sign up. Burn Co. It's native owned too. So definitely something to support.
0: Wow. Okay. Burn Co. Support native businesses. Everybody, I think everybody's writing this down. I want to say, there's an interesting thing about your story. And I'm going to tell a story of my own to segue into it. Cause I'm really, really fascinated by this. So I will tell you this. I grew up in the Northeast, right? You're growing up, you see, uh, you know, you see, like you said, the, these depictions in pop culture, the noble savage archetype, like last of the Mohicans and, and Westerns and all this stuff. And, and uh, you grow up with that. Now, my, I, I will tell you, I once, the first time I drove cross country, I went to the Grand Canyon, which first of all blew my mind. Mm-hmm. And then when I was leaving, my buddy and I, we had a, you know, we got out the map. This was before GPS and we're looking at the actual map folded out. And and we're going, you know what? We can drive back down the highway we came and get back on the main road. It's kind of boring to like spend that hour and change or whatever, seeing the same stuff we already saw. Or we can take these other roads that kind of go out the other way and they, it looks like they loop back around to the highway eventually. Let's do that. Now, these were dashed lines, and we were young and we were not smart enough to say, well, if it's a dashed line, it must mean something. Um, which, when we looked at the key later, we found out these were roads that were not necessarily paved in all areas and kind of rough, like sort of like outdoors, like off roading. And we were in my little Nissan. It was not smart. It was not smart. Point being that those roads took us through Native lands. And I have to tell you, as a kid who grew up in the Northeast, with that romanticized look at Native American culture, where like when you're growing up, every kid, you know, every I think every kid in my neighborhood went through that phase where you – you know, you wind up with like a bow and arrow that has suction cups on the end. And like you think of big headdresses. And when you're in elementary school, they teach you about, you know, they taught us about the Iroquois who used to live in New Jersey before it was colonized. And driving through the, how do I say this in a sensitive way? My jaw dropped. I was shocked to see the desolation of the lands I was driving through. I mean, we were driving through We were driving for hours at certain points where you wouldn't see anything. And then you'd come upon like, it would be like a gas station and then some very humble homes. And I'm talking in the middle of the desert after we've driven for hours. And it sounds to me like your tribe in particular has built an infrastructure, I will say, I was shocked to see, that was in 2004, and I I remember feeling very, very heartbroken and very sad to see, oh, the the idea that there was a genocide of Native peoples is not over, if that makes sense. People are still living in some very harsh conditions. And our government, I, I remember feeling like, man, the American government is not... I always kind of assumed, oh, we've made amends for that. We have not. Now, you said you didn't move to the States until you were 18. Was that shocking to you as well, or did your family history kind of already lay that out to you?
1: Well, my brother is 11 years older than me, and he's been pretty active for some time. So I I did have an understanding uh, before I even got there. Um, I don't get a lot of information from my mom because she's... uh, What's affectionately affectionately known as an apple she's red on the outside, white on the inside <laughs> so, oh <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> I have not heard that before okay okay
1: uh, yeah um so that's a complicated thing um but my brother is really uh, really um involved, and so i I came with some understanding um my Choctaws, so the in Oklahoma at least are, uh, do not live on reservations. And, um, but I, I have, I have Native friends who, whose tribes are on reservations and I'm pretty familiar with how, uh, terrible they are. There's a documentary called The Canary Effect that's about this and it's, it's really interesting. If you ever have time, it's actually not that easy to find anymore, but, uh, the canary effect and it's about, reservation life and and this very thing you're talking about and it is it is definitely a, a systematic slow burn annihilation like that's like the that definitely is what it feels like from the like from the opportunities that are provided for people there to the food um oftentimes so there, there isn't clean water um it's it, it It definitely feels like, at the very least, like this is a kind way of putting it, they're an afterthought in the American community, you know. And and that's partly what I was saying earlier about how we're basically invisible, basically invisible until suddenly we're, like, put on a pedestal. So it's a really weird juxtaposition of how uh, Native Americans sort of exist within... The, the broader American experience.
0: Yeah, I remember. I remember on that drive being shocked, and I remember. I remember, you know, as as we were kind of getting into this land, every once in a while you'd see like a hand painted, like a big wooden homemade billboard, and it would say like, "Hey, pull off ahead, buy some jade. Friendly Indians here." And I remember seeing that and going, "Oh man, that's." That's not good. That is not good that we are putting people in a position where they kind of have to put up a sign like that, that you can, at least from my perspective, no judgment feels like someone having to say like, hey, we're friendly. You don't have to be scared of us. We're going to use the word Indians when it's not necessarily you know, a word that is popular like amongst Native... I remember, I remember feeling very much like, oh, this is this story is not over and a lot of us conveniently like to assume that it is and it is not and like you said the annihilation angle of it like it's not over and if you see it up close which i, I stumbled into back when i was 23 24 years old it was like oh this is very visibly not over it's fucked up right pardon, pardon my french sorry Sally. oh yeah it's, it's fucked up it's still fucked up
1: no it's, it, it's- it's very fucked up. Although I'll say I won't speak to that specific tribe, but uh, oftentimes those kinds of signs are a little bit tongue-in-cheek. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So an example, an example of that um, in Oklahoma, at least. Um, so there's this huge debate going on right now in Oklahoma because Governor Stitt there is wanting to change up the compact. There's a compact between um, the Oklahoma government and the native government and essentially it's um he's wanting to to raise the the fees for the tribes uh, having to do with gaming and it's really funny there's been this joke about how you can't really get tribes to do anything together but man this man has brought everyone together and they're all they're all just Re- ready to go basically and um so there's been this funny little joke amongst at least the people I've been hanging out with about how they want to send him these letters from each tribe but they want to send it to him with 12 little indian boys <laughs> and it's really funny uh, it, so that's an example of like they we like to take things and kind of turn them on their ear and make poke fun too. So it could be that could have been a tongue in cheek. I think, but your very your 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 impression could also be spot on, depending on the tribe.
0: Now you mentioned another thing in there that I have a little personal experience with that I'd love to. You said you said something along the lines of it's very hard to get tribes to agree on things. Now, I I once had an experience that I wonder I wonder if you could speak to a little bit. I get the sense that there's sometimes maybe some maybe competition or division amongst tribes, in the same way that like I'm from North Jersey and like North Jersey and South Jersey kind of like butt heads, and then we eventually all get along. But but there's this like rivalry. I I, I once w- I once did a dumb, very dumb project many years ago where I, I effectively hitchhiked across the, the country from California to Tennessee. And uh at one point I was I was dropped off at I'll never forget it was a place called the Hopi Travel Plaza and I'm I am sad to admit that I don't remember exactly what state it was in but I couldn't get a ride no one would pick me up out of this place and this went on for hours and I was getting really scared um and someone explained to me oh yeah no it's there's, you know, th- this travel plaza is owned by the Hopi, but there's another tribe that owns most of the land that surrounds it. And a lot of the people are, are kind of closer with the people from that. tribe. And basically, no, basically, not many people are stopping here because there's like a rivalry between the Hopi and this na- neighboring tribe here. So it's going to be hard for you to ride at this particular travel area. And it made me, I was like, oh, right. There are. This is many different nations. This isn't. This is not one large group of people that all think the same way and all have the same exact um, history and, and culture and languages and foods. And there, it, yeah, I, I, I. It took me hours and hours and hours to get a ride there. It was, it was a, an epic day. I bet.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's definitely, um, there's definitely contention among some some tribes. Some of it is, uh, yeah. There's a lot of politics for sure, and I, I I see more and more of that whenever I go to these trade shows because, so, and especially this year, it was the attendance was huge, and there were a lot of tribes that didn't that normally don't show up who came, and it's because of this compact issue. It, right. it affects every, it affects everybody. So, um, they sort of banded together. But yeah, there's. There's definitely, I I can't speak a whole lot into that. And I'm not going to, I'm not even going to pretend like I know all the inner workings. but I know from being like hearing my brother talk and, um, and his best friend is the executive director of all of the Indian gaming stuff in Oklahoma. And so I, and I lived with her last year when I spent some time in Oklahoma city. And just hearing, just hearing her talking on the phone, and just listening to, <laughs> listening to, all the things she had chagrin with, I was like, oh yeah, a lot on her plate. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you have to balance a lot of people and people who have grown up in different ways. Even though maybe the outsiders like myself on the East Coast think of this as one people, no, it's many, many mm-hmm. different types of people that are. United under a certain umbrella, but not exactly the same. Diversity. Yeah, within. well and you
1: also get into like some Yeah, exactly. You also get some interesting um, I guess kind of cultural clashes too, because some tribes are but well, many tribes are matriarchal and then some tribes are patriarchal. And then when you get that dynamic together of
0: course it's <laughs>
1: gonna be butting butting heads.
0: So there is my tribe is matriarchal. Your tribe is matriarchal, and then some other tribes are patriarchal. And you you have encounters where you're like, oh, right, any patriarchal culture, you're like, oh, this guy is kind of a blowhard over here, right? Like these (laughs) dealing with this for the last thousand years with these these guys. Anyway, anyway, it's very interesting (laughs) to hear your story, and I thank you. Thank you for telling it. We got about twenty minutes left. It's really? Oh, whoa. What was it like to um, move to? to? Did, so, did, you grew up overseas until you were 18. Was that in Africa?
1: So, I was born in Switzerland and we went to Cameroon as soon as I was allowed to fly. So, I think that's six weeks. Six so weeks old. We went to Cameroon. Yeah, we went to Cameroon, Kenya, South Africa, Romania, Hungary, Germany, Macedonia, Croatia, and Montenegro.
0: Whoa. That was
1: my upbringing. Whoa. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So you're one of the most worldly people any of us will ever meet. That is a true statement. i bet a lot of people nodding their heads. This is someone who has been everywhere, seen a lot of stuff. I would like to see more stuff. I would also like to own more stuff. So it's good that there's products for sale via this podcast. Maybe these are some things that you can buy if you need more stuff in your life. Listen. Check them out. Use the promo codes. Really helps when you do. We'll be right back. on how you buy: Thanks again to all the advertisers who help us bring this show to the world. Now let's finish off the phone call.: So you're one of the most worldly yeah. people any of us will ever meet.:
1: Ah uh, that
0: you can how, be how am
1: I to answer that question?: Listen, you can be
0: modest <laughs> no. all you want. you can be modest all you want. but this means, okay, have you wait name those countries again?:
1: I was born in Switzerland, Switzerland, we Cameroon, yes uh-huh. Keep going South Africa, Romania, Hungary, Germany, Macedonia, Croatia, and Montenegro. Wow. But in in fairness, the the latter three were like so sporadic. By the time we got to Hungary, I was just kind of like, all right, uh, y'all, my education is failing. (laughs) Um, This is not good for me. And I'd like to stay somewhat put if that's all right. So I was I was more or less based out of Hungary and then I had a small stint in boarding school in Germany for a little while, uh, but then I went back to Hungary.
0: And you do live back in the states now?
1: Yeah, I live in the bay area.
0: In the bay. You're in the bay. Mm-hmm. That's that is That is a hell of a story. That's all right. <laughs> so you needed some stability though. You need you, so you're you're this you, your background is from a culture that people like to romanticize as being like in touch with these primitive roots. Meanwhile, you're born in Switzerland, a country that's thought of I think as one of the most sort of progressive and forward thinking. Then you go to Cameroon and Kenya which are sometimes un, unfairly painted I think as uh places that aren't advanced and then you go South Africa, one of the most uh Notoriously racially divided places. Then you bounce all over Europe, every corner of Europe as well. This is—you have seen it all. Well, my
1: my parents. Well, my parents. Um, my brother likes to joke, and by joke, really is tension and anger. <laughs> but
0: okay, uh-huh. joke
1: that my parents always, my parents always like to go to uh they had the the best timing is what he always said. like we went to south africa three weeks after mandela was released from jail apartheid was was coming somewhat to an end sort of and but not that stuff just the residuals of that are really never ending in some ways and we lived we lived in johannesburg and in a subdivision area called hillsborough which it's funny whenever I see or speak to a South African and told them that, I was like, they're like, oh, where are your bullet holes? (laughs) Oh, wow. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. And I mean, we, my, my mother, my father both carried revolvers. Oh my God. Uh, We like, yeah, we, we, um, I saw someone's head get blown off across the street when I was like eight. I mean, it was just one of those, upbringings where it's like oh i guess that's my life you you just look out from oh you're looking down on it you're just looking down on it and you don't really absorb that it's you if that makes any sense
0: yeah a lot
1: of disconnection when when you move that much you just become a very disconnected person in general
0: yeah of course And, and
1: and and so, yeah, I think it was a defense mechanism in some ways, but also it was just a byproduct of this kind of just what you have to do to survive.
0: And you've, you've mentioned your brother a number of times throughout this call. Was he, was he with you throughout all these moves as well?
1: Well, he's 11 years older. Yeah, so He said. he ended up graduating. He graduated from high school in South Africa. So he wasn't there for any, most any of the European stuff. However, he had, he's a very mysterious guy. He's an artist now, but he, he went through a period of time where nobody really knew what he did. And he just kind of showed up in internationally, like wherever we were and like had these really strange stories. And there was a lot of mystery behind it. <laughs> He'll say it was something having to do with the, def, with defense contracting. And I'm like, all right, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know what's happening here.
0: Yeah, I (laughs) got to say, I don't either.
1: Yeah, he did tell me at one point, and this is when I was like, all right, I'm just going to resign myself to any old outcome right now. But he was like, "Um, I'm going away, and if you don't hear from me in a year, just presume I'm dead. When I was like 14. (laughs) Like, okay, brother.
0: Thanks. Have a good trip. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now you've, you've mentioned that he's expressed a little anger. At one point you did, I wrote it down, you you phrased things. You said something along the lines of, of you have, in relation to your parents, some personal opinions of some things that happened as a result of how you grew up. You're being very diplomatic in the phrasing. But it, it also sounded like at one point in your story, it sounded like you kind of drew a line with your parents and said, I need stability. And that's when you kind of went to these boarding schools that were where you knew you weren't going to have to follow your, because your parents are missionaries, which means they have good hearts. They're they're aiming to do good and help people. But it also means you're getting dragged around the world every year, six months, it sounds like.
1: Yeah. It's a a very um, complicated feeling that I have around my parents in general, for the reasons you just mentioned. They are good people very good hearts and I admire the, I admire anyone as somebody like I struggle a lot with finding purpose in my life. And then I'm still, I'm in my thirties and I'm still like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but um, they always knew and they not only did they know they followed through and they have given their lives for their calling and sacrificed normal family dynamics, sacrifice, um, stability, you know, and all of that. And sadly to say, also somewhat sacrificed their children along the way. So mm-hmm. I have very complicated feelings about it. Um, I was really angry growing up I was a really angry little kid. And I had a, a, a bit of a different experience than my siblings. My siblings were born and mostly like partially raised in Oklahoma. And so they knew all my aunts and uncles and, um, had a family base but I was born overseas and I only just sometimes visited family so I didn't really know anybody growing up and then um, I was also a complete and total accident in my family I'm, I was 7 years behind my sister, 11 years behind my brother and um, like my my dad had a vasectomy like that was not supposed to happen wow. <laughs> so
0: and He's told I, you
1: that. Some, well, they didn't like my siblings being siblings. Like, made the they spun it of you're a complete accident. But I later on would find out from my like my parents that like I genuinely wasn't planned at all. <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> wow! So. so yeah, and and they didn't say in any in any way that was meant to be hurtful and I wasn't hurt by by it. It it was just it made it really it helped actually reframe a lot to me about how different my experience was with them. They're very loving, but they're also very uh focused on what what they're doing and I just came along and kind of inconvenienced the whole thing, I think, and they had to sort of con- uh find a way of adding me to the mix. So I was around a lot of adults. I was by myself a lot, not a lot of children. So I was very self-entertaining. Um, and they all thought I was kooky because I was just like making, you know, making toys out of my fingers or silverware or something <laughs> to just keep myself entertained with all these fucking adults. Yeah, you know? you're
0: bored. You're not <laughs> kooky. You're bored out of your skull. huh
1: just a lifetime of boredom, <laughs> wow. you know, par- with this funny, like parallel life of, of like traveling the world. And when people hear it, they think it sounds so exotic, but it wasn't that exotic for me. It, to me, it was like, and, and it's a point of contention with my family in Oklahoma, because they, you know, I've just stopped talking about anything having to do with me because people just assume you're being snide, you know, when you're like, oh, well, well, we went to France this one time and there was this thing. To me, it's like them saying, well, I went to New Orleans and blah, 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 you know, it. it but they don't see it that way. So I just thought stop, I stopped telling stories or talking or doing anything within my family because it just sounds like they think that I'm being smug.
0: Right, right.
1: And uh, that's it's, it's just my experience, you know, I can't really help that that was my experience but back to my parents. Like it's, it, it's definitely a point of contention. We, we, it's an ebb and flow with them. And because they're still super conservative, fundamentalist, they're assemblies of God. And, um, they, they have a lot of political beliefs that irk me mostly because they've, they've spent now well over 35 years overseas. And, they have no excuse on earth to not think in broader terms and it really frustrates me. And so, and, and it, and it triggers a lot of old feelings with them because um, a lot of the choices that they made um, come from that same mentality. And, whenever you get apologies, but there's no follow through, there's no change. There's like the, 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 the baseline problem is still there. Like you actually apologize for something you, you, can't, you can't even change. And so it's really not an apology. Does that make sense?
0: It does. It does. And it, it, sound, it sounds like your parents have like a truly defined sense of purpose for themselves that made it very hard for mm-hmm. you to attain the same thing for yourself growing up
1: yeah it's a really intimidating thing um when when you're you're told your whole life you're destined for greatness you know you're the lord is is going to pave the way for you and uh you're you know he's got his divine power blah 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 and you hear that your whole life on top of like these really apocalyptic ways of thinking about the end of times and like we're in a war with Satan and like the, we're in a supernatural battle for souls. You hear that your whole life, and then then you're you're seeing like violence around you or inconsistencies around you, it, and and all of this is just it's really sensationally overwhelming. It's it's like this sensory overload. It's a, a lot of things at once, and it's a lot to unpack. And I'm still, I'm 33, and I don't feel like I'm, I feel like I'm actually uh, digressing. Like, I feel like I'm actually getting worse in some ways. Like, I thought I was progressing forward, but I, in many ways, I feel like I'm kind of struggling to figure out what it all means for me. You know, how do I? Cause I've never, and I, and I thankfully with therapy and all of this, I like my, I am learning that, you know, it's not entirely my fault. I mean, I moved so much that my entire life, the way my, my mind started to reconfigure about human interaction or spatial interaction, it was all just get through it to the next thing, you know, don't attach don't, don't, up, uh, don't build roots, don't do anything because it's going to, it's extremely, um, temporary. And, and I've, I, I, that's a, this is pulled spilled over into my adult life too. I move, I've moved so many times since I've been at back in the States and I've been in California for a long time, but I've moved around California and I just, it's almost like I've never even had time, which sounds ridiculous saying it out loud, but it's almost like I, I've never even had time to figure out what it is I actually want to do with myself. Does that make sense? I don't think it does, actually, but in my mind, it makes sense.
0: I think it makes perfect sense. I think it makes perfect sense. You, You never had a chance at having a firm foundation to slow down and figure out what you want or where you're headed. I think, I think to every, I think a lot of people listening right now are going, no, that makes sense. If you, if you grow up living in 19 different countries and then move around. Yeah. And you're on your own as a kid. Yeah. It makes sense. makes a lot of sense that, yeah, you, you might, you might have some trouble finding that foundation as an adult. I, I think it makes total sense.
1: And it makes me feel so stunted. Like I'm, I'm in such admiration of people like you who, I, I don't know when the bug for comedy started for you. It seems like it was young if I remember correctly,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: but it seemed like you were, you were, you were just like, that's it. And I'm going for it. And I've never had that thing. I, I've had things I'm interested in just cause they're kind of fun or I'm decently good at them. Like I did theater, dance, and music for a long time. And I had some decent success with certain things in terms of like, I got to, I was making a living off of it. And, and, and that was good. Um, But I squandered so many really amazing opportunities because I was so detached from them. I was like, well, I don't know how long I'm going to be doing this. So I'm not going to put too many eggs in this basket. And I didn't know I was doing that until after the fact, and I was like, "Fuck!" Like I, sorry, Sally. Um, that's just not. That was a terrible choice to have made, but I had already made it, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm still trying to sort it out. I feel like this gig economy might be my best
0: to bet <laughs> Right, it, a bunch <laughs> of things the gig so the gig economy has many many problems and in the bay area it's one i think the most the one of the epicenter of the debates surrounding a lot of it that being said it certainly works well for someone with uh with a, with a short attention span and an ability to an inability to commit long term to things gig economy is good for that <laughs> If you're not in, If you're not able to really buckle down and commit, gig economy is awesome. I'll do Postmates today and I'll drive a Lyft tomorrow, and I'll try to run an Airbnb on Thursday.
1: <laughs> but then you start, you know, thinking of your future, and you're like, I'm a fuck. I'm exhausted. Like I can't do this long term.
0: Well, I, if there's one thing, <laughs> I mean, I, I, if, I if there's one thing I can reassure you of, I did find comedy when I was young, and I was very dedicated to it. It does not change the fact that. Pretty much every day I say, fuck, I'm exhausted, and I don't know if this is going to be long-term. Every day, and I'm 20 years in. <laughs> uh, still, I was at my, just yesterday with my wife, I had a big sit-down. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know how long I can keep this going. I've only been able to keep it going for half of my entire life. I don't know if this is going to keep going. So those feelings haven't gone away. I have to tell you, seeing a guy get shot when you're 8 years old, while you're in the midst of being dragged to a dozen different countries that you live in as an isolated child... Who then winds up back in America unable to lock in on a long-term game plan? Yeah, that'll get John Zoloft that'll get John Zoloft
1: <laughs>
0: Yeah how'd you wind, we only have a minute left, but I do I am just curious how'd you wind up with a, dating a guy in Ireland?
1: I lived in Chicago for a little bit as a stage manager and met him at, at, at a pub. And his friend was hitting on me horribly, just absolutely horribly. It's a very Irish and story so far. And he, uh, yeah, yeah, he came over and he rescued me. And what was meant in my mind to be a one night stand five years later, we're still going.
0: Look at that. <laughs> Look at that. Is he, do you ever? He's
1: pretty incredible.
0: You think you're going to move there? Is he going to move here? How's that going to go?
1: He's, hopefully he's moving here in about a month. We have visa complications right now, but hopefully he's going to be here in a month. And then eventually I will live in Ireland. I miss living overseas, so.
0: You can't, you can't stay in one place for too long?
1: Nope. Can't do it. Look at that. Which sucks for him. He spent his whole life in one place, and he's talked about buying a house. And I'm like, oh, buy oh, oh, a like I. Get hyped. <laughs> I mean, there is. Good
0: for me, though. We only have a few seconds left, but I will say there's there is no small irony in that. You are you are the fir- I think the first Native American we've talked to on the show, and someone who has lived in more more countries that aren't America than maybe anyone else I've ever talked to in my life. <laughs>
1: uh, it was so great talking to you, Chris.
0: It was a true pleasure. Very eye-opening in so many different directions. Thank you for talking, and I wish you the best.
1: Likewise. I hope you feel better soon.
0: Yeah, you too. You too. Caller, thank you for telling us so much, telling us about your roots, both in the sense of your heritage as well as your personal past, about your family, about your questions in life. I hope you get them all answered. And I hope you and your Irish boyfriend have a long and happy life together. Healthy, happy life. Thank you to Jared O'Connell and Harry Nelson in the booth. Thank you to Shell Shag for all the music you want to know about me and my tour dates, they're up at chrisgeth.com. I'm getting out there again in the fall. So come say hi. Come do a show and say hi. Hey, if you like the show, go to Apple Podcasts. Rate, review, subscribe. It really, really helps when you do. That's all. That's all the business. We'll see you next time. Next time on Beautiful Anonymous, the inner workings of the mental health system and also a fantastic love story.
1: Neither of us really even knew that we were gay, let alone attracted to each other. Uh, And yeah, a a romance kind of formed from that and we are now very much in love. So I got to spend my birthday with her.
0: Wait, wow, wait a second. That's (laughs) a hell of a story, okay. Okay. First of all, I want to say that the idea of spending two birthdays in a row in a mental health treatment facility is uh, its not ideal. Sorry, you had to go through that. Yeah,
1: that's okay. Thank you.
0: That's next time on Beautiful Anonymous.